practicing. Okay. Welcome to Luke's Talk Wine. My name is Luke, and I work for a big wine company. My name is Luke Campbell, and I work for a small wine company. And what is the name of your wine company? Vinified. I think, is it worth mentioning that? Vinified. You can find me at <laughs> www.vinified.com.au. Vinified, no one wants to know who t- I work for. I don't think I'm even allowed to mention it, to be honest with you. Well, I'll stick with a big company and I'll stick with a small wine company. All right. That's all right. Uh, today we're going to talk. What are we going to talk about? Cheese and wine. That's going to be fun. Aging wine and or what? How we? Why the, wine ages? The um, secret of aging wine. The secret of aging wine. What is the secret of aging? Let's ask what's well, happening in your wine world this week, pal, Luke Campbell. Well, thank you very, very, very much, and hello to the listening audience, Luke. I had my mind blown in the wine world this week. I was uh, reading. I was reading, uh, as I sometimes do, Saturday with my morning coffee, and I came across a winery in the Barossa doing more than just pivoting, and that is... Is that uh, the winery that's putting a uh, a wine inside a kangaroo-shaped glass vase? (laughs) Not quite that bad, but uh, something almost as crazy, and that is... uh, Dave Powell, formerly of Powell and Sons, has decided to go all cryptocurrency and NFTs, i.e. non-fungible token, and sell his wine via the cryptocurrency world. And yes, mind blown. So what so is he going with Bitcoin? Is he doing or is he going is he got his own Powell and Sons sort of specialty currency? Is have you gone to invest in Power, pocket power, pocket, what would power and pocket? Uh, <laughs> Cryptocurrency power style. No, well, he's created he, his new his new brand is. Um, oh, it's named after one of it. No, his new oh. brand is Nelda, Nelda Road, which is one of the oh. famous streets. And it specializes in single vineyard wines like all, all of his brands have. And he's, he's made 100 barrels of wine. Um, and Why do you stop there? But, Did but, you run out of juice? We probably Why run out of vineyards. I can't, can't answer that, sounds, can't answer that sounds question. Like, sounds like some sort of weird marketing thing. I mean, there's only 100 barrels worth, so you can get barrel number 92. Why? Well, that, that's, a, that's, about the, that's about the gist of it. So um, he, he's so, selling each barrel of wine individually as a non-fungible token. So what the price of that <laughs> might be would be it's payable in – you know, Ethereum or Dogma or I'm not across this whole cryptocurrency. It's taken me 25 years to work out the share market, right? So I'm not across this cryptocurrency. He's but not doing marks. He's not doing PowerFrax. Drac- Drachma. Drachma. No, no, no. no. He's Drachmas. doing cryptocurrency. Drachmas. There's the option. Oh, go on. <laughs> uh, his head on it. It's quite an extraordinary deal. Basically, the, the ambitious... It's it's a pretty ambitious plan um, to sell the whole bang lot to people who want to invest in it. So, you know, and NFTs are taking you know um, collectible markets by storm. So it's it's only a matter of time before the wine world gets hit. And they, here it is, and it's coming. Anything? No, like how do you know how this all stuff works? Do people just give their money into coinage, a bit like gold, I guess. You just transfer it into a different type of stock market thing and then it fluctuates depending on its value. Well, yeah, well, it's it's only worth what someone's going to pay for it, right? But if he, he's offering it to 
as an auction in the NFT world, i.e. the cryptocurrency world. Um, and, you know, you, you'll pay in excess of what is worth about $110 a bottle. You, you may pay the, the, the same amount. You may pay less. You know, you probably pay about half as much in cryptocurrency as it will go. So, um, yeah, but it's quite an extraordinary move by so a uh, well-known keep- winemaker. So is Dave going to keep his uh, his one hundred and ten dollars a bottle equivalent, or well, what happens he is he, he a percentage of a crypto. He, he keeps he keeps the barrel. He keeps it in like a bond store or a well, warehouse. That's a, that's a good system. Sell stuff, but you get to keep it. What a smart man! <laughs> but the community, the purchaser gets they get a a hologram of it, and they also get a. <laughs> Trip, trip. Get this. They get a trip for them and twenty-two of their friends to wherever in the world. And Dave comes and hosts uh, the wine, where they get to taste it. And Dave will host you, if not in the Barossa, um, when we can fly again somewhere else. And then, and only then, after you've paid for it and you've done that dinner for twenty-two of you, does he bottle the wine and sell it uh, for what you've paid for it. But the trick is that you've paid and bought for the whole barrel. And he's yeah. going to do this because um, he's got, you know, he's got some hundred odd barrels. What did I say? He's, uh, hundred. I remember. Yeah, hundred odd barrels. But it's an extraordinary move from a very, very famous winemaker, you know, previously of Torbrecht, previously of Powell and Sons, and now he's this Nedler Road. It's an, it's an ambitious, it's an ambitious plan. It just blew my mind. The total sales of a hundred uh, barrels. He's hoping to make eleven million dollars out of the vintage. That is Crikey. extraordinary. That is, oh. crikey is the word. And he's only offering to fly himself to your dinner. Why does he fly everybody to him? He can afford well, it. 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 It's either or. So oh, it's, either uh, or. Either, it, it's either or. It's either him to you or you and 21 of your mates to him in the brosser. Oh, I, I can't imagine anybody's going to take the reverse option up. But what do you know what happened with him in Torbrook? Do you know when the Sully, Sully waters got sullied in that scenario? The waters did get sullied. Um, I'm not aware of the. Um, I'm not aware of the ins and outs. Absolutely not. Uh, but no less of a winemaker because of it. Dave's a phenomenal winemaker, and certainly connections in the Barossa second to none. I mean, what he did for Barossa winemaking, as far as um, you know, working with regenerating those old vineyards. Yep. You know, everyone from geez, Dan Standish, Fraser McKinley, um, Craig Isway, they all went through Torbrecht. Um, all those great winemakers have gone through Torbrecht. Oh, he's leaving a mark and he's maybe he's forging away in the future that I don't know how many people are going to, so he expects so if he's got a hundred bells and he's trying to make a million dollars eleven million dollars off a hundred barrels of wine. What does that work out to be yeah. per bell, Campbell? I haven't got the buttons well, in front it, of me. Like it gets a bit you, sullied. It? it gets a bit sullied because it's being sold in you know, cryptocurrency, but just on face value, you know, if you're going to divide. Oh, well, obviously what, it's $110,000 per bell. Yeah. Because he's just taking off two zeros. Pretty much. That's exactly right. No, no. No, yeah. no silly questions, only silly answers, Luke Morris. So I think, you know, based on the fact that the 19 and the 20 vintages were of such um, – such low vintages and low yielding due to the heat. I guess he's looking to just capitalise on the back of 21, which was a cracker. 
Um, but gee, it was I, I was literally floored when I read this. Read this in in the um, the AFR, the financial review. I, I was um, blown away. I had my mind blown. So that's what's been happening in my wine world this week. Hi, this is Luke Morris from Luke's Talk Wine. I've written some books, so visit lukemorrisha.com.au. Go there, see the books, buy one, support the podcast. That's lukemorrisha.com.au, L-U-K-E-M-O-R-R-I-S-H-A.com.au. Have a great day. What's, what hey, else is happening? Oh, cheese and yeah. wine is what we're going to oh, talk about this I've week got... as a big topic. One yeah. of your favourite, one of your loves, the oh, matching, uh, the the matching of cheese and wine. I know how you think they they're a match made in heaven, and how they they're go not so at well all. together. They do not go well <laughs> at all. If, if, have you ever had a glass of milk paired with a brass of Shiraz? Yeah, that's what, exactly what you want. You get some real lactic, creamy kind of characters while you're chomping away at, at something that's supposedly pairs of steak. It's not a uh, thing. Well, that, that, that is not exactly um, how it goes. Cheese and Basically. wine is very has a very narrow uh, window of opportunity, mostly uh, Port and Stilton, and a bit of uh, Saturn and um, oh, let's just say Stilton, Saturn and Port. If you're having cheese with any other, what, you, what else have you got? Sancerre, maybe, maybe Sancerre and some hard stuff. I can't think of too many really good options. I just hate the way it's all bandied around as cheese and wine is is this proper match and it so rarely is. Well, you're wrong. So Not wrong. Che- cheese is fatty, wine is sharp, opposites attract. They create a magical coupling of flavours and textures from all over the world. You only Sometimes have to look as far as Portugal. Work really well. What, 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 yeah. Okay, what's in Portugal? Well, you, you just mentioned, you know, port and blue cheese is perfect. You mentioned the Loire with Sancerre, goat's cheese, massive fan. What a match, absolutely amazing. Hard cheese and tannic wines, hard cheese and Cabernet, massive fan. As it turns out, ch- cheese, which is customarily high in fat, coats the mouth, blocks taste receptors to the other beverages. The yeah, there you go, and blocks the taste receptors. You just said it yourself. <laughs> the acidity and the sweetness of a well-paired wine cut through that and its creamy barrier. It's just a, 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 a large glass of wine and a big fatty cheese. It's a perfect balance, Luke Morris. You're ill-informed, sir. No. I don't believe it. I can't believe it. No, I've never sat there and really enjoyed it. You're not doing it right. Crackers. I like some crackers. They're nice. Yeah. Well, what about thinking of a... What it's about thinking? Cheese. It doesn't have to. You can, it doesn't have to be a. Doesn't have to be a variety of cheeses. Pick a single cheese and a single wine. Go nuts. Doesn't have. You don't have to go your whole platter scenario. I mean, maybe I that's the it. problem. Maybe that's the problem when they, when you go to places and they're like, "Here's the cheese," and you know, Oz Clark agrees with me because he does think cheese dampens the taste of most uh, wines, and that's probably because when you go to places and they're like, "Here's a cheese platter," and it's like every cheese under the sun, and they've only got like Pinot. Or something. And it's like it doesn't. They don't all work. Why are you giving? Oh no! This well, that, cheese. They don't all work. Opposites do attract. So you know, like, j- just think. You know, the the creaminess of a goat's cheese with the searing acidity of Sancerre. Like that is a beautiful match. Like the the um, low fat content of something like a pecorino from Italy and a brunello with it with the tannins. Beautiful. Like. 
you know, th- these kind of things. If you're talking about Pinot Noir, Pinot Noir is actually very difficult to match. Oh, is it? You're um, oh, just telling me very, how good cheese and wine is. Well, there's a bit of a science to it there, <laughs> and it sounds like no matter what I say, but if I start talking to you about fruity wines like Riesling, Gewurz, Tremina, and Chenin Blanc, even Sauternes, your ears may be pricked. These wines would go with something like a washed rind cheese, something that's got a little bit of sweetness that clings to the creamy content of the cheese. You might try that loop, Morris, and minds will be blown. I don't know. I'd say I'd, I'd, I'd much rather have something that a substantial good meal, like as we've discussed before, some sort of paella or some sort of uh, oysters or some sort of. What do you do at the end of the meal when you? What do you do at the end of the meal when you when you still got something left? When you still got something left in the bottle, what do you do? Just snaffle down like a bavoir? And eh, no, you go cheese. Uh, so you're just that's what Napoleon that. did. Napoleon went for cheese. Napoleon Bonaparte. Yeah, well, how did that cake. work out for him? Well, <laughs> it's Napoleon's too long ago. dead. I don't think it worked. <laughs> if cheese and wine was such a good match, he would still be alive. <laughs> he had a lot of fun along the way. Did he? He did. That's Absolutely. Cheese and wine pairing, it isn't simple, but it's a fun journey. I suggest listeners, you get involved. Don't listen to Luke Morris. He's actually he's lost his mind. Uh, just go Get for it. Get some Doritos. Smell, There's some smell texture. Umami right there. Doritos and cheese. Umami right there. Umami? Are, are umami. you referring to the Margaret River producer who um, likes to hide their wine away and not really sell it to people? I'm talking about the fifth sense named after the Japanese sense. Savory. Umami. Sweet, sour, salty, bitter or... Umami. I thought umami was supposedly some sort of in the, in a meat character. Is that what you think Doritos are? Umami. Umami, umami is another flavour combination, as well as sweet, sour, salty, and bitter, or umami. Yeah. In fact, on our blog vinified.com.au, there is a whole whole page on umami, the fifth sense. You should get into it, Luke. It's uh, it'll change your world. And you yep. might have it in you might have it in beef. You might have it in Doritos. Umami f- finds its way into many meals. No, I mm. would never have considered umami to be part of a Dorito flavor if you've profile. Got, that would be listeners. Bad. If you've got a question about umami, send it to us at lukestalkwine at gmail dot com. Yeah, lukestalkwine at gmail dot com. We can we can answer questions. We got a question about what makes a wine age. Ooh. Okay. Um. Uh, you, you, when I put this post, you, you, I think you prompted a uh, a different phrasing to that, because what makes when somebody asks what makes a wine age, well, this it's very broad, isn't it, and very difficult. And I suppose the most useful thing, really, for anybody is rather than what makes a wine age, I think you pose the question of what to look for when choosing mm. a wine to age. Is that is that am I was that correct? Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely correct. Like laying down a wine is not an exact uh, science, uh, as we've discussed on the podcast previously. It's very uh, subjective, so I guess it's important to discuss in this little pot of ours what the the, the theory, the theory of wine aging. Is it straightforward? Is it is it just the interaction of oxygen with the acids and alcohols, or are we looking for potential longevity? I think the better question, you're right, Luke Morris, the better question is what to look for in a wine that ages. But 
Can you answer the question, what actually makes a wine age before we get into the deep, dark depths of what to look oh, for? Oh, look, what makes a wine age? Uh, lots of stuff. Tannin, acid, alcohol. Uh, those are all things that contribute. But I always tell people when they ask me questions like that, I just tend to say, well, you know, wine will change with age. What are you looking for? Um, not to not to try and be too aggressive on the on the on the notion, but there's it seems to be a weird understanding that a wine gets better with age, and sometimes it doesn't, because Ooh. sometimes what people want and and all strength to them, if if you want something that's big, heavy, robust, all the American oak, all the all the sweet jammy jammy fruit that you can cram into a bottle and and stick it in there with a, a, a top that doesn't burst off, it's not going to potentially get any more of that when you stick it down in the cellar. In fact, it's more likely to, to soften and mellow. But I know that sometimes people get disappointed when they take those huge wines, stick in them in the cellar, and then discover that they don't get bigger. Are you telling me that not all wine is meant to age? Not all wine is meant is is not all wine is meant to age. You know, Beaujolais Nouveau that's meant to be drunk within the first year. Um, yes, I just I'm just um, I think a, a lot of listeners might be surprised to hear that that not all wine is meant to age. I mean, no. the the champagne vintage champagne uh, vintage champagne yeah, vintage is champagne, is yeah. released on the on the uh, the year that it's when intended it's to, be, to drunk. be drunk. Um, what, late bottle vintage port? I don't think that's designed as an ageing port, whereas vintage port is. Well, it's the same It's the same as a um, late bottle vintage is the same as a vintage champagne, right? It's released when yep. it's ready to be drunk, um, when it's stipulated. But uh, I think the, the, tr- the trouble is, and not, not a lot of people might know that, listeners might know that not all wines are meant to age, and they might not know that vintage champagne is released when it's ready to drink. There, there are a couple yeah. of big... Big calls you've just made there, but they're absolutely true, Luke Morris. But I think the the sometimes I'm right, sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> it's about the first time since '95 you've been right, isn't it? I think. Like, uh... <laughs> no, but the the, the the theory of wine aging, getting back to the question, is pretty straightforward, right? So it, it's the interaction of oxygen with the with the acids and alcohols uh, yeah, and polyphenols yeah. and whatever. Potential longevity, though. That depends on the quality and concentration of the, the fruit and the, all these components. The five components to look for in a wine that ages, and I've said it before, and I, I, I'm pretty sure I've said it in our little podcast of ours, but I'll say it again. So the Go five on. things to look for are fruit, aka alcohol. Then you get acid on the side of the tongue. Then you get tannins, which are you get on the side of the mouth or in the in the front of the gums. Then you get so we've got fruit, a.k.a. alcohol, acid, tannins. Then you get um, balance or mouthfeel all around the mouth. And then finally, and the fifth, which is equally uh, concerning to a wine that's going to age and its longevity, is length. How long it hangs around. Yeah. How long that mouthfeel. It's a key factor in a wine's aptitude for aging. In, yeah. in, in, in reds, the polyphenols that we mentioned earlier, you know, the, the, the flavour, the tannins, the colours, the acids play the biggest role in whites it's all about those acids um but that that's what really make that's what to look for in a wine to well, age. yeah that's that's that, when i try and simplify that on, on, on a tasting scale i'd say yeah 100 percent persistency on palate because that gives it 
somewhere to go. There's, you can see there's a length to its um, lifespan. If there's a long life on, on in the taste, it's got a long life in the, in the bottle. And where's it going to go with that? Depth of fruit, the more that you can smell and uh, uh, taste within that wine, the more layers that there are to be pulled away over time. Oh, absolutely. Like, and it, it, even if you're not an, an expert in being able to identify acids and tannins and things like that, I, I, I usually just give those two as, as a basic thing to look for. But it's so hard to age wine these days. So why? Well, what's you, hard what, about do you love it? You to just do put it? it in the back. I do, I do love to do it because, as we've discussed, all wines tell a story and I believe you get the true benefit of that story after a few years of age. Like I love Aussie Chardonnay, you know, at about that five to seven year mark. Mm. I, I love a, a, you know, I love a, a red wine, particularly the heavier, uh, tannic, more tannic varieties, Shiraz, Nebbiola, Cabernet Sauvignon. I love those at that kind of eight to 12 range. You tend to get the best snapshot of the vintage, in my opinion, a few years down the track, Luke Morris. But wine's about when you when you can drink it. Like I, I want to see those tannins and antithiacins all combined and the combination of this process, everything's stabilised, wine colour, wine structure, everything's stable, and it's hard to do that in the early years of a wine. The wines that fill me with fear are the wines that have those huge aromatic characteristics, and but they're only like, if you're writing down a tasting note, blueberries, and then you sort of got nothing else. It's just all blueberry. Or it's all blueberry and vanilla, and then just you know, big oak, big fruit up front. But then, when I find there's not a lot on the palate, and there's nowhere for that wine to go, I do have customers who get disappointed that it doesn't age for five years. It's like it's because it's just, regardless of the vintage, I think the winemaking sometimes impacts on whether or not that wine can go anywhere. Yeah, no. That's- yeah, good one. Yeah, I, like I, that. I just, yeah, it's just, it's just when I get, like I said, there's, there's, there's certain wines that spring to my mind where they, they just don't age, and people get confused by why. And I just wonder what the, what the wine making process is that they can do that. I guess it's just the, uh, right. if you shove enough oak in something, you can make it seem like it's got character. But if you've over, if you've overpopulated the if you've put got too much water within the vine, and so it doesn't have enough acids or tannins, there's not actually character in there. Yeah, I couldn't Is agree more. Harsh? The water will strip it. No, that's not harsh. That's just hit it out of the park, Luke Morris. That is banging. No, you know, yeah. more of that, please. No, that's the that's the type of wine that annoys me. That is just masquerading mm. as wine. Tell it like it is. I agree. <laughs> um, why do we age one? I, I probably would have said this before, but I, I've, I like this as an analogy of uh, the piano accordion. When I talk about people with length on palate and um, uh, that, that complexity of fruit, if you put push a piano accordion together, if it's one of these old ones, it's all that crumpled up paper in the middle, and if you pull it apart... You, some of those lovely old ones have the nice picture on the side of the piano accordion that comes out as you, as you see it. Like the reverse of a mad magazine folding. All tied yep. up is one thing, but when you pull it apart, it's something completely different. And when it's a young wine, squashed together is all that 
concentrated and it's all in a single length of flavor. But when you pull it apart as it ages, you get all those rippled effects come out and you see a much bigger, broader picture of what the wine is. Yeah, fair bump, play on. That's, that's a great analogy. Yeah. What are you drinking? Are you drinking any aged wine at the moment? Mate, I, I wouldn't say age, just with the change of season, you know, spring has sprung. I, um, yeah, what, what have I been drinking? I'm, I'm not, I'm alcohol free at the minute, but, um, oh, you know what I am drinking? Actually, I lie. I had a really glass, really nice glass of Chenin Blanc on the weekend, Swartz and <laughs> yeah. Co. Um, it was actually, it was labelled Barossa Valley Chenin Blanc, which piqued my interest. I thought Barossa Valley, but then I realised it's probably High Eden. Um, but yeah, it was okay. just all, you know, oily and earthy and, you know, daikon radish, honeysuckle type stuff. It was a fun little Chenin. It was um, deliciously sunny. You know, it was just... Um, yeah, it, it did take a little bit, had a little bit of pithy lemon about it and waxiness was almost semi-unlike, Luke. Um, mm. but, yeah, um, you'd be in that yeah, third, ballpark, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. But yeah. 30 bucks, you know, high Eden, you know, pleasant, you know, yeah, just had a welcome little bit of complexity to it. But, gee, no, it was lovely drinking um, Shannon Blanc. In. And you forget, you know, I, I'd had a Swan Valley uh, bag in box, goon bag, um, that I'd tried about a month or so ago. We spoke about it on this show, and it just piqued my interest to domestic Shannon. It's a it's a great variety. I gloss over a lot, but you know, I drink Loire and Vouvray and uh, Semur Blanc sometimes. And but I'd forgotten about Aussie Shannons, and obviously Mark Lloyd from Coriol put it yep. on the map. But in the Swan Valley, it used to go in those Horton White Burgundies. Um, <laughs> yep. Years gone by, but this was a this was a lovely, lovely wine, and it just had that hint of complexity, and it was just very pleasant uh, on a sunny summer's springtime afternoon. Yeah, what what about you? What are you drinking, mate? Oh well, I'm, no, I'm actually not drinking anything at the moment. Trying to uh, be a good boy, probably go over a pint of stout later. But yes. you, stout you goes well with cheese. Stout so, goes well with cheese. Man, I just think you like cheese. <laughs> yes, I do. I think like you're cheese. just finding an ex- everything goes. With, uh, no, stout and stilton. You meant that goes well with cheese. <laughs> vodka lime and soda goes well with cheese. Oh, vodka lime and soda, and hard cheese and vodka lime and soda. Nothing's better, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the truth is out there. An excuse for cheese. <laughs> an excuse for cheese. Uh, sorry, I butted in. You have a no, question. No, you're cool. No, happy with that. Um, um, Bossa Valley. Mm. Bossa Valley is really interesting because, as you said, Shannon Blanc out of the Bossa, what are you talking about? Well, hang on. Bossa Semyon is also a thing. And Bossa... Uh, Riesling? Technically, Bossa Riesling, yes. Even though it would all be... Most of it would be labelled as Eden Valley. But mm-hmm. Eden Valley is technically part of the Bossa. It's a big area. It does a, it does a lot more than just Shiraz. And it's interesting it, it the microclimates you can wind up with that lend itself to those whiter grapes that we tend to assume prefer softer, cooler. Oh, climate. but if you if you stand and a lot of our listeners would have done it if they stand at either Charles Melton cellar door or even Rocky O'Callaghan's there at Rockford and look up behind them to the right, you can see from the valley floor how high, mm. and you don't see to the highest point of the Eden Valley, but literally how quickly the valley floor goes up. Um, and I should know, but I, 
I don't know how high Eden Valley is, but say it'd be 500 meters above sea level at the very least. Um, it, it's it climatically, it's a massive difference, which is why the Riesling, the Shannons, the Semions are all grown there, you know. And then obviously it tapers off to the south into the Adelaide Hills and the Clare Valley. Um, but it'd be quite high, Luke. Do you know how high the Eden Valley would be? Nah. I don't bother might... myself with that sort of detail, mate. If the wine tastes good, I don't care how high or what kind of soil it was in, as long as it tastes good. Well, the, the acid in this Shannon was persistent. It was obviously quite cool. It had to be Eden Valley, although it was labelled Rossa. But they are the one GI. Um, the moral of the story is, if it tastes good, drink it. Yeah. I mean, it was. I, I learned that in um, Bendigo, working in Bendigo. and That would have been the only thing you learned in Bendigo. No, it's not the only thing I learned. I learned that <laughs> Bendigo not only has Cabernet, but also Shiraz. Mm. But um, coming across Bendigo Sauvignon Blanc one day, thinking Ooh. to myself, well, you've you've made a mistake, haven't you? <laughs> but they hadn't. They were selling a lot of it at their tasting because, you know, Sauvignon Blanc written on a label is very, very encouraging for sales. But more to the point, much as I didn't like that wine, um, there was something else. I'm trying to think if it was a Chardonnay, but there was somebody else. I think it might have been someone that planted some Pinot, and I just thought, you don't know what you're doing. You shouldn't be planting Pinot and Bendigo, but it tasted good. It was good Pinot. And just the idea that there can be little ridges, little pockets, high up parts of a region and low down parts of the region, as long as someone can find a place to stick some sticks in the ground and the booze tastes good at the end of the day. I suppose it's the old world teaching that, you know, the Rhone Valley does Shiraz and Grenache and the Bordeaux does Cabernet and Merlot and the, the, there's there's regions that are built for grape varietals and that's the only thing that should ever grow there. But I like the way Australia can balk that trend and, and it's not only the Clare Valley that has Riesling. There's lots of places, little oh, pockets all over, the, all over Australia that can do it. Give me Just some look at the Canberra great, Riesling. Look at the Great Southern WA, that Riesling down there, you know, like Larry Chevrino, uh, what a Franklin River, um, you know, single file. Um, there's some stonking um, Great Southern and Southern WA outside of Margaret River Riesling producers down there. Not to not to be overshadowed by the likes of Tasmania, not to be overshadowed by yeah, you know, Tumbarumba, the, the hilltops you mentioned, Canberra. Oh yeah, no, we should some... we should rename this podcast Luke's Talks Riesling. <laughs> we should. <laughs> we should. We, all conversations lead to Riesling, Luke. You know no, that. Don't, don't they? <laughs> it's the Nova White Grape. Go away, Chardonnay. No, actually, Riesling goes well with cheese. Riesling goes. Oh well with God! Enough of it. So good. Yeah, um, mead goes well with cheese. <laughs> Buck fizz goes well with cheese. <laughs> just, just think, Riesling, Gewürztraminer. All these lovely, lovely, the wine sweetness clinging to the creamy content of the baked piece of brie, just delicious. <laughs> Yummy. Bread and cheese and a jaffa iron goes well with cheese. Carver, cheese, buttery, fatty cheese, carver. Love it. You're doing it all, all right. wrong, Luke Let's Morris. go have some gin and cheese. Thanks for your time <laughs> today, Luke Campbell. Thanks very much, Luke Morris. I have been <laughs> I have been Luke Campbell. You can find me at Vinified at Vinified Wine Sources on Instagram. At the end of the thing, 
But people might want to find us on the socials, Luke, at Vinified Wine Services. Oh, do we have socials? Oh, we do have socials. That's all right. Yeah, yeah, go on. What's the social again? Sorry, mate. At Instagram, at Vinified underscore wine underscore services. And where do they find you at, Luke Morris? Luke Morris, huh? I think it is. Perfect. I think that, they can find me if they really want to. And don't go forget, on. if you've got I'm any... an enigma. If you've got any questions for us, don't forget to send them through at Luke's talkwine at gmail.com. Thank you very much. Bye for now. Vinified are the wine cellars specialists. We're Australia's only personal sommelier service. Our sommeliers work with you to build your cellar. Our aim is to bring you the wines from the freshest new producers, all based on your tastes. We can come to you, source your wines, present tastings. Think of Vinified as your wine concierge. We can do retail, we can do tastings, we can host your dinner parties, or we can procure you that rare wine. Vinified is proud to be associated with Luke's Talk Wine. www.vinified.com.au